0: Okay, peeps, this is the part of the show that I get to give you a big old virtual hug and thank you for reviewing the podcast, my labor of love. These ratings and reviews seriously mean the world to me. This five star iTunes review comes from Maggie Vogie. Maggie writes, I just finished the recent episode on self care. That was excellent. Maudie, thank you for pushing us to challenge our tendencies to always be doing and competing. Thank you for teaching me to honor my feelings and intentionally create experiences and habits that enrich, invigorate, and improve my life. Maggie, thank you so, so much. I really, truly love sharing my personal growth stories for the reasons that you just listed. I can't begin to tell you how much your feedback means to me, so thank you. And I would love to hear what you think of the show. Leave a review wherever you are listening to this episode, and I will make sure to give you some love on a future episode.
1: Kelly O'Gara, welcome to the Living on Purpose podcast. I'm I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today.
2: Thank you, Maddie. I'm so excited and so honored to talk with you today about this. It's something I'm very passionate about, helping others, and very excited just to kind of talk and hopefully help through what we have to say.
1: Absolutely. It can only help. I can I, I believe that shining the light onto the darkness and anxiety for me has been one of those places can only help. And so I feel like that's what we're gonna do today. Just shine a little light and a little perspective and maybe some tips on helping family members who have mental health challenges or anxiety in our own in our lives. So that's the plan. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? both personally, professionally, and what has you excited right now?
2: So I am a mental health counselor. I've been a mental health counselor now for about two and a half years. Originally, I am from the West Coast. I'm a California girl born and raised and lived in Portland, Oregon for about 10 years before I decided to move to Boston, Massachusetts. Whole different cultural world over here, and I love it. It's where I met my husband and also where I actually decided to become a mental health counselor. So it's been a big part of my journey moving out here. And I think one of the things I'm most excited about, A, being a mental health counselor, because this is relatively recent in my career. I just started a couple years ago. But I'm also working towards licensure, and that is just around the corner. So that means I have completed over 3,000 hours working with clients, and I'm about to take my exam. And that is exciting it's anxiety producing and it's awesome all at once oh my god the timing's perfect then yeah yes (laughs) even counselors have anxiety oh wait you guys are human yep yep i don't have all the answers i make a lot of mistakes yes
1: oh my gosh i was I'm, i'm glad you said that this career path is new newer two years um and do you mind me telling everybody how old you
2: are yes i have no problem
1: so, Kelly and I met at Gonzaga in college. So, we're the same age, 39, which, you know, is, I would say, uh, we think when we're 40, we will be deep into our career, right? <laughs> like, we will yes. be, we have this like vision of ourselves. And so, uh, to be approaching 40 and to be launching a new career, how exciting, how brave. And I'm just curious, like, what were you doing before and what led to the transition?
2: Yes. Oh my goodness. I think I would have benefited so significantly from having you as a coach when I was mm, 20, 19, 18, somewhere around there. Uh, Because I think all the work you do about purpose and self-awareness and helping people to know who they are is so critical, which is probably why my path has been so winding. I have no regrets to my path at all because I think you can grow and learn and that's just part of the process. But I started out thinking that I was more of an extrovert and I was a kid in high school that was really involved and thought I loved events. So when I went to Gonzaga, I had no idea what I wanted to do and took a bunch of career placement tests. And those things are only as good as you are self-aware. So they they came back saying I would be great at fundraising, event planning, and that's kind of what I pursued. Um, I graduated and then ended up through networking, working in higher education, working with students, which was great. And back then, I had some bosses who were like, you know, if you want to stay in a higher education, you need a master's degree. So at that time, I had started a master's degree in counseling thinking it was transferable. Like I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in higher education, and I didn't want a master's in higher education leadership. So counseling was the next best thing. But I was very quick in at that time in my life to say, I don't want to be a counselor. Uh-huh. I just am here to advance in higher education. I am never going to be a counselor. And then slash forward, what, 10 years <laughs> later, now I am a mental health counselor. I didn't finish that degree. Uh, I ended up getting out of higher education altogether into fundraising, which ironically, I did do fundraising in higher education. But that goes back to that career placement test. I was like... I never did fundraising. I think I would like to try it. I thought I would be good at it. I did it. I was horrible at it. <laughs> not horrible. That's unfair. <laughs> it was not a skill or strength. And when I moved out to Boston, I ended up at a working at a college that had a master's degree in counseling. And it was always in the back of my mind. I loved those classes. I loved people, stories. And I think was more aware that I am more introverted. And one-on-one is so much It's a better environment for me than like a big public arena or, you know, that kind of thing. So I was blessed to work somewhere where I could get my counseling degree relatively for free. Wow. So started the master's program and found myself in the master's program at that time thinking I was really jealous of all the classmates who were doing this full time and were able to talk about this with peers where I was talking about fundraising and how to build relationships to ask somebody for money. And so I didn't love it. And then when I finished the degree, I was able to be in a situation that allowed me to transition to counseling. Wow. and I have not looked back.
1: Oh my God, that's so amazing. And you said a couple of things that that I really think are beautiful. And I love um, words that create images in our minds. And you said your path was so windy. You know, and I think like giving permission to ourselves to have a path that's so winding is so amazing, especially as I, you know, how Aiden is looking at all yeah. right now and it's so relevant in my family, um, having this conversation of like, you know what, what if you choose a college that you hate or what if your path is winding, you know? And so mm. just reminding us that yours has been and look where it's brought you to now and that it's okay. Yeah. Like permission to wind. Yeah, yeah exactly.
2: And to not know who you are and that that's okay, you know, that that's part of the process too Mm. is, uh, and that's one of my biases. I think that I think good can come from not great things, you know, that it doesn't have to be, we can find our own meaning later.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's so much pressure, right? There's so much pressure. The other thing that you said that I was like, yes, because I talked to a lot of my clients and I asked them what are you jealous of? Who are you jealous of? What situations are you jealous of? And jealousy has such a negative connotation. And then I always, you know, preface it in the positive reappraisal, like, you know, on the good side, you know, and I love that you just admitted to that. You were able to see that you're jealous of your classmates who are in it for the career. And they were able to have these conversations and these connections and you were able to be like, okay, I'm jealous of that. How can I go, go make it happen for me?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a relatively new understanding of jealousy for me. That actually goes back to you and I when um, you were coaching me. I think, gosh, when I was in that transition from fundraising to counseling and you were like, what are you jealous of? And it was that shift of, you're right, jealousy feels negative, but it actually there's a lot of strength and positivity in it. It can be a light to help you know where to go
1: yeah, just or where you want to go.
2: I love that yeah. a
1: little light. So I think if this is so beautiful at 39, you're getting ready to take your test, your 3000 hours, uh, mental health counseling and you shifted from fundraising. Hmm. What advice would you give to someone who's sitting in there? straight and narrow path <laughs> and who is a little jealous of your winding path and jealous and maybe thinking uh, a pivot is necessary or a pivot is craved, especially around careers. What advice or tips or thoughts would you have for that person?
2: A, hey, I would say hire Madi as your coach, oh, yes. number oh. one.
1: <laughs> I'll pay <laughs> you later. That's a
2: must. <laughs> but I'm being, I mean, I'm joking, but I'm actually being very serious about that. And then I think, to asking deeper questions why you feel jealous. What is it you're jealous about? What are you reflecting on that you either don't have currently and or want to have? And is it something you can get with your current path or is it something that you absolutely cannot get? Like if you're, like me as a fundraiser, yes, I was able to build one-on-one relationships with people, but there was a lot of follow-up with those relationships. It was how, it's not just having a conversation and getting to know someone, it's how can I get to know somebody and then align them with a funding opportunity that will bring them purpose and meaning, but it's a very targeted conversation. Now as a counselor, I just get to know people. I get to be with them present in the moment and there's nothing else. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not the one navigating the conversation. They are. I just get to be a support and listen. So I couldn't do that in fundraising.
1: Right. That's so beautiful. So your pieces of advice, ask for help. Yeah. Get some help. And that that's okay. And then through inquiry, answer your own question yeah. through asking deeper questions. And can you get what you want in the current or is it really a transition that's necessary just
2: through inquiry? Yeah. I think that's well said. Okay.
1: Thank you. I'm just so proud of you. And I hope that you continue to be proud of yourself because like I said, when we started this conversation, it is so brave to make a transition at any stage and so brave to embrace the, the winding path. So props to you. Thank you. You're welcome. And the reason I asked Kelly to be on the podcast, one is because I freaking love her. But two is because we, I had a situation in my family come up around anxiety. And I posted something on Facebook with my mom tips, right? Tips from my life and me dealing with my own mental health and my anxiety and so many comments, so many comments on this post and comments like, thank you for sh- share, you know, shedding the light on this. Um, I'm going to pass this on to my husband. Um, thank you for helping me understand my child more. Those types of comments that just make kind of blew my mind, like, oh my God, we need to have more conversations around this. So let me tell you what happened in my family, Kel, and then maybe you can give me some advice from and our listeners from the perspective of a family, watching a family member deal with it. So I took my family up on a hike recently and Tom was fine. So he was gone and Tom really is our rock. He is like, mm. he doesn't have anxiety. He's just kind of like this solid, strong man. Right. And also hilarious and funny. <laughs> and- so when he's not there, he's missed. And so I took, the kids plus more kids, right? We kind of had, I had this like gang of kids up on this hike and it was really, really high in elevation. We had to drive really far. And as soon as we got out, one of the kids was starting to get pretty quiet and we started on the hike and it was just a bunch of switchbacks all the way up and you could see this valley. So you felt really high, high altitude. You could also see the height. And the kid stopped and said, I need to go back. And she was like, you know, I think I'm going to faint. And we all kind of stopped because we weren't expecting it. It's like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? And um, two of the kids were like, well, we're going to keep going. And then luckily we had cell service and call when we are ready to go. And I took a couple of the other kids back. And we were sitting there And I was giving her water and food and it felt really helpless for me. It felt really helpless because I couldn't just fix it for her. Right. I couldn't just take away this feeling of like, I might faint, I'm scared, I'm faking, I don't know what to do. And so in that situation, as a mom, as a parent, or even as a friend, what could I have done or what would you suggest for someone? in that situation when you're watching someone have an anxiety attack or a panic attack.
2: Yeah, I think it's such a great question and something that is so important. Because um, I think, you know, adding to that story, Madi, I think didn't we have a conversation too where, there, or maybe that was in your post where somebody was saying, just to say something like, don't worry about it, telling somebody with anxiety not to worry about it or not to think about it doesn't help because what anxiety is, is it's our body's, emotional and physiological response to our fear. So it's, a, it's part of our fear response system and that is part of the oldest part of our brain. You know, People hear about like fight, flight or freeze. It's something threatening is introduced into the environment. The body responds and realizes that as stress mm-hmm. and then reacts either freezing, running away, fighting. And what happens with anxiety, people who have anxiety is their fear response becomes triggered more frequently and they become way more sensitive to that response. And that response is like an emergency system. It takes over everything. So the frontal lobe part of our brain is the part that... Is able to be rational and logical, and to think through things and to understand consequences. But when somebody is when somebody's anxiety is triggered, that cannot happen. That is not a possibility in that moment. Um, so saying all that is just to help provide some understanding of like, I think what you did was was part of the answer. So you mentioned that you noticed your kid was getting quiet and that that wasn't normal or that wasn't maybe a usual. It was something that was brought to your attention that was different. Awareness of warning signs is really a part of that. So what that can be when somebody has anxiety, it can be body language changes. It can be like that, like personality changes. Symptoms of anxiety can be irritability. It can be muscle tension. It can be for the individual. It can be racing thoughts or heart Mm -hmm. racing, you know, um, it can be palms are sweaty, restlessness, feeling keyed up. Those. So, why I mention all that is somebody, a loved one, who has somebody who has anxiety. One thing you can start to pay attention to is what are those warning signs? What, what might indicate that this person might be starting to feel anxious? Mm-hmm. Because they might not even be aware in the moment. Sometimes people don't know. Like a kid might not know. Maybe your kids. You're starting to get nervous, they're getting quiet, but they're not saying anything. You know, as as mom, that could be the time to jump in and be like, Hey, I just want to check in. I noticed you've gotten really quiet. Is everything okay? You know, how how are you doing? A second piece of it is is like the triggers. What triggers anxiety for the person? So that might be a new learned thing that you found out with your family, that the hike and heights might be a trigger. <laughs> right. Now you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Triggers can be, and trigger, the word trigger I just mean is whatever starts the anxiety, whatever, what the stressor is that starts the anxiety. So that for somebody could be words, uh, it could be situations, it could be the environment, I mean it could be a lot of factors, a lot of things. And it really depends on the anxiety, like for example, as a mental health therapist, <laughs> you would think I am very you would think I would be aware and understanding and no triggers myself. And I think last week my husband and I were having a conversation. He was being we had been kind of bickering with each other the day before and we were having a conversation. And I said, Babe, look, I noticed you're being really edgy. What's going on? And my use of the word edgy was triggering to him because he at least in that moment had an awareness to say, I'm not edgy. I'm actually feeling I was feeling very anxious. And that was a light to me of like, oh, okay. I was taking his irritability as, I was taking it personally and reacting to that where he was actually in a place of being anxious. Mm-hmm. And so when we were in a calm state, we were able to talk it all out. And now I know the word calling him edgy is a trigger for him. <laughs> it's not going to help him feel less anxious. <laughs> right, right.
1: I want to circle back. You, We've talked about this story and we'll circle back to this one because of those labels. I'm really... Mm-hmm. Um, the labels are really triggering for me, especially with kids. So that's amazing that your husband was able to, in the moment, be, you know, say, "Hey, babe, like I actually, I may be acting at but I'm not. I'm anxious." Yeah, yeah. That would be amazing. That would be so amazing if if, if we all could do that. Like I'll get to right. that because it does, for me at least, it does sneak up on us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does, and so awareness of warning signs is your is your number one. Just body changes, irritability, their racing thoughts, or their sweaty palms, and helping them realize the warning signs as well. But as a mom, um, in the, what what um made me think I sh- could do when you said recognize the warning signs is slow down a bit, mm. because I think. I think this uh, environment that the world is in right now has given us an opportunity to slow down and we, the wolners are used to running around to all the things and we never slow down. And that was kind of the, the mentality that I had as we were going on the hike: is hurry up and pick up all the friends and hit Starbucks and drive out. And we were kind of just in that, like go, go, go where I missed the body signs. I probably missed some signs and signals on the drive, right? She was in the front seat with me. And so I think that is a great um, opportunity to remember like, we can slow down in order to be there for these people who, who need us to help them see the warning signs maybe before they even do.
2: Yeah. And, I, and that made me think too, Amadi, because this is all dependent on the, the relationship, right? The, mm-hmm. the role. Of the loved one who's offering support versus the role of the person with anxiety. So, in this situation, too, you know, another thing is after that situation, which I know you do, you're very thoughtful about this, is having that conversation with your kid about what did you notice? What went on? You know, because what you can do is also help them to advocate. That's a key part of this, too. If somebody who has suffers from anxiety, to be able to articulate and become more aware of their own warning signs or what triggers them to feel anxious, that's key. And then to be able to say that to others, like what my husband was able to do and be like, hey, you're calling me edgy, that doesn't work. It's making me more irritable and more anxious. So advocacy is so Mm -hmm. is a huge part of that. And that, you know, so don't take all the pressure on yourself as mom to have to get all these signs you know, you did. You got the signs and you addressed them with your kid, and and then that processing after is a big part of the learning lesson too.
1: And that's a great example of what your husband did. That's what he was doing. He's being an advocate for himself, and it it made me think of about four or five years ago when I was really in it, really in the anxiety, really, really getting triggered often. Um, we were in the car with the family, and heading it was Thanksgiving. We were heading over the mountains, and I said something, and one of my kids go, "Oh, is mom anxious again?" And that triggered it, right? And later, Tom and I had to have a conversation about it because that at that moment they didn't understand. Yeah, it was easier for them to just kind of like poo-poo it, make it seem like not that big of a deal, and help me advocate for myself. I by, by afterwards when I was in a better state. Like you guys. Help them understand what I was going through. Advocate a little bit of compassion and help my kids because some of them, and most of the time, they don't know that feeling. Thank God. So help them advocate for themselves and for women, for people who are listening to this who also deal with anxiety. Hello, I'm raising my hand. Me too. I do as well. (laughs) This is our opportunity to take that piece of advice for ourselves. Yeah. and advocate for ourselves,
2: yeah, how can you become aware of your own warning signs? And that's you know now this would be maybe a different partner relationship, but if like you're you know like a friend or like a loved one, an intimate partner, you know if you don't know your warning signs, you could ask them. that could be a way somebody could offer support is, oh, I noticed this, mm-hmm. I notice you start like my husband, he starts to get fidgety and mm-hmm. and he gets a different tone in his voice, you know, I can notice those things that second step of that, or the last step, I guess, because, you know, becoming aware of warning signs and triggers is a big part of it. But when somebody is in anxiety, what do you do then? And that that last bit of it is what works? What are the coping skills? What are the things that can be done to help somebody? And this is going to be so, so, so dependent on the person. Uh, I think we are fortunate to have a good group of friends who processes lots of the lots of these things deeply and I think a friend of ours was saying you know what worked for her when she's anxious would be something that I think wouldn't work for me or you know or I think you reflected wouldn't work for you so that awareness is so key Mm. because you know it it's really dependent on the person and it's also dependent on the level of anxiety so if somebody is in a low level of anxiety, like maybe they're irritable, mm-hmm. uh, coping skill for that level might be different than if somebody's in a high level of anxiety, like panic attack level of anxiety. Because at that panic attack level, it, it's like fear of death, heart attack. I mean, the that's it's such an extreme level of fear that maybe giving someone space in that moment might work when they're in a low irritable level, but maybe not when they're in panic attack level. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh, such a good point is uh part of the comments on my post were opinions, right? Part oh. of the comments were um, suggestions, which I love. I love hearing suggestions and tips and pieces of advice and some of them, and it's also our the free will that we have to be able to subscribe to their opinions as well and so someone did post breathing uh she should have uh, worked on her breathing in that moment, and I thought oh this is a good tool to have in her toolbox however we hadn't practiced breathing before yeah so she was kind of past that right it was oh my god my my therapist one, one time used say analogy of the throwing the the life vest like if someone is drowning you don't stand on the bow and teach on the backstroke <laughs>
2: yeah you don't teach them to how to wade like her tread water yeah tread water that's it
1: Um, you you throw them the life vest and you know for for my child that wasn't medicine but for me it has been like medication and so this goes back yeah in it having that toolbox of of coping skills and be able to look at where you're at is it a low level of panic and anxiety or are we at the are we at the attack level the extreme
2: yeah and your example with your kid being on the mountain was the trigger that height and so you know that level of anxiety where she was at getting off the mountain was the first step to to where yeah. she didn't have you know or or i mean i'm assuming but just yeah. that removing that trigger removing the environmental fear of being unsafe and then and then as she starts to calm down, then it's like, okay, let's do some breathing. This is helpful. You wanna try this, that kind of thing. But you know, you're right, in a high level of panic, deep breathing might not work, but maybe it does for somebody who has practiced that skill, like you said, and is in panic and that that does work. You know, so you're right. Practice is a big part of it too.
1: Okay. So what are some of the other coping skills that you would suggest that we add to or start considering, um, to add to our toolbox?
2: Yeah, I think gosh, there are so many things out there. I think exploring, I I try to tell my clients to pretend like you're a scientist because scientists go into situations with this open mind that we're going to do an experiment. And if it fails, it's not this big, depressing, negative thing. It's like, all right, I've learned something. Now I can redo this experiment or change my hypothesis and adjust and adapt and go on to do another experiment. So I love that Idea with coping skills because it won't, not everything will work. Not everything will work in the, you know, situation, depending. I think it's situation dependent on what works. So, deep breathing, there are a lot you can get on YouTube and Google deep breathing exercises. There are so many different. If it's for kids, there are, you can get on Pinterest and find like deep breathing exercises. There's so many things out there. Like, there can be for kids, there can be coloring, depending on the age, there can be, you know, dragon breathing if they like visuals it can be um breathing about you take your hand and you spread it out like a like a star Mm -hmm. and you can breathe up one side of the finger and breathe out down the other side of the finger so you just kind of give them a visual and the visual can be soothing but also just a timing of like okay, follow my finger you're going to breathe in when i go up my finger and you're going to breathe out when i go down my finger and just kind of follow the path of your fingers and for adults meditation kids can learn meditation too But meditation can be very helpful. Visualization, anything, the point, the biggest point is what's going to calm you down? Because when you're in a fear response, it's an activated stress response. And the point is to calm yourself down enough to know you're safe. So that way your frontal lobe, which is all that higher executive level thinking, can come on board and realize like, oh, I'm actually not going to die. I'm just really mad at my boss, and my boss is being a jerk. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. You know, but in the moment when you're feeling anxious and you're keyed up, and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, why did my boss email me at ten tonight after I left for work, asking me to do five things by tomorrow at six a.m.?" And now your the anxiety and the thoughts are triggering. You know, it's it's you're more safe. You're distressed, and stress can be a trigger.
1: So it's a uh, calm the body down so the mind can work.
2: Yeah totally yes that's a great way to say it
1: okay i can't get over how much i love the pretend you're a scientist one that is brilliant especially when it comes to the kiddos right like so that just takes all the pressure off like just fix it get better yeah be a scientist just go in super curious what scientist do you know that's not curious
2: Yeah. yeah And I think what you had said too, this idea of from the beginning, like how can people support others Ooh. who are suffering from symptoms of anxiety? That open mindedness is a big part of that. So. When you kind of, like your post, you had mentioned people had all these suggestions. And I think that's very natural as humans, especially we've encountered it. We want to be like, oh my gosh, you know what worked for me? And we're very excited about this. We want to share and we want everybody to do the same thing. And understanding that being open-minded to what the individual needs and wants and what works for them is is very important. And being patient as they're trying to figure it out too. Patient and open-minded.
1: Yeah. Okay. So anything else we need to add to the toolbox, just that you can think like high level, you're like, Oh my God, there's so many, but you just really focused on breathing, visualization, meditation, Mention coloring. Um, anything else to add to that as a outsider looking in like, Hey, let's add to our child or friend or partner's toolbox pre panic.
2: Yeah, something you mentioned, humor. Like, And it, again, it depends on the person, but like why Tom is such a rock in your family is his humor. Humor is so diffusing, right? When you're in an anxious state and you can laugh, it's hard to laugh and to be stressed at the same time. <laughs> like, It's just two different responses in the body. Um, so humor can be helpful. Also, um, using the senses can be really helpful. There's a grounding tool where you use your five senses. Um, where you, and I think there's different ways to do this, but essentially you uh, you count down from five. So you can start by noticing what's in the moment, um, five things you can see. So you oh. just look around and you just name five things you can th- see. Then it's four things you can hear. And that's just where you're at in your environment, where, where you're presently at. Then it can be three things you can smell, two things you can touch, one thing you might be able to taste that is in the room. So just using your senses, what that does is just, it's a distraction and distraction can be helpful too. Like I think I had, um, I worked with a kid once who had a lot of anxiety and in the moment, getting them to think was helpful. It d- obviously it depends on the level of anxiety, but what I mean by that is asking the kid to name all the candy they could think of that had the color red in it. Like what candy can you think of that has red in it? And at first they're like, uh, I don't know. And then they started naming off candy and the next thing They were so invested in thinking of candy that was red that they weren't thinking about what was worrying them and they were starting to calm down and then we could move on or process what was going on that was making them anxious
1: distraction okay that's beautiful and to make it fun and yeah okay so i love all these these pieces of advice for the outsider i think it's so brilliant because an outsider to anxiety will never understand that's the hardest part right we how do you empathize with someone when you can't feel it? You have no idea what that mm-hmm. feeling. Another time, the first time I realized that, because um, Tom doesn't know. And so the first time I realized that saying, just don't think about it, isn't helpful, was when one of the other kids was at a party and started getting anxious. And middle of the night needed us to come pick them up. And it was because of an anxiety like really, really, really high. And when we got home, Tom said, oh, like hugging, rubbing back, don't think about it. And I was like, oh my God, you know, "Uh, red alert, red alert, don't say that. (laughs) Poor guy didn't know, you know, like didn't know what not to do. (laughs) So is there anything else, any other like don't you would suggest? Like you said, don't, you know, don't say, just don't think about it. Like that's impossible.
2: Yeah. You know, I think, uh, as I, as you asked that question, what I was reflecting is kind of this idea of we could probably come up with a list of don'ts and somebody still might make a mistake and do no. something that they shouldn't do and that it's okay to make mistakes, you know, because part of it is the communication of figuring out like, oh, right, saying not thinking about it isn't helpful. And now Tom's probably, hopefully, gotten better about not using that as, as the first suggestion when someone is feeling anxious in your family. Mm-hmm. Um and that that's okay. And I think it goes back to that empowerment to be able to say like what you were able to do, like, that isn't helpful and here is why, you know, not just not attacking the loved one that's making a mistake. And then as a loved one, when you are being corrected to really be open minded with that, that it's not personal. It's not that you weren't trying to be helpful. It's not that you did anything horrible. It's just that it wasn't helpful in that moment to that person and here's why. And this is what, and then don't end there. Go add kind of what you did. Like, here's what else you could try in the situation. Like, don't, yeah. you know, giving specifics can be helpful for people. Yeah.
1: And I guess we could just like flip all of your suggestion for for the kids when they minimized in the car, if they minimized my anxiety, if I, in the moment, I was like, you know, I kind of freaked out. I was like, oh my God, you can't do that. And, that actually they're learning, right? They're learning not to minimize someone's pain by yeah. having it later. Um, and then also like you said, Oh, be open-minded and patient. So what's the opposite of that? Right. Don't be yeah. close minded and like hurry someone along. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And okay.
2: even being able to recognize that when like, so the example with Tom, like, he wasn't in a state of anxiety. He's able to fully use all of his brain and is able to be like, yeah, You were safe. You were fine. Like, this is the situation. He has a whole different perspective because he's not in an emotional, physiological response. But the person who is experiencing anxiety is in a completely different response system than the person who's calm. So, uh, for somebody who is supporting somebody with anxiety, remembering you're in a different place. You are able to think probably rationally, you're able to feel safe and calm. And the person you're supporting is not in this moment. So, keeping that in mind can even just be helpful. Yeah, definitely.
1: Because it's, it's so scary. And it's usually when someone breaks down in front of you, it's usually someone that you love. And you just, as a, you just want to take it away. And so it's this, for me, it's this feeling of like helplessness. Like, I just want to take it away. Um, and when I get into that state, sometimes the patience goes away. Like, I just get, in, you know, I just want to fix it. And so um, this has been really helpful for me to remind me even though I know exactly how it feels when my brain's working I just want to fix it I just want to I just want to take it away from my my baby you know
2: yeah and that is so powerful because as a role of mom that's like what you want to do you want to protect your kids you want to love them you want to make sure that they feel safe and secure like that's what you've been doing since they became cells and formed into, you know, like you've been protecting them. And that's a hard role to ever step back from. You're never going to step back from that. And to reframe that, if you have, you know, anxiety, you know, you can survive anxiety. Your kids can too. And they are resilient. Anybody that we love and care for, I think as a counselor, one of the things that has been helpful to me to not take home client mm or are concerned or to think about it after hours is I truly believe that each one of my clients is capable of handling their own problems. If I were to be disappear tomorrow, they don't need me, they can do it. And that is the job of a therapist is help clients to feel empowered to do that. Similarly, right, as a parent, is to help people feel, help your kids feel empowered to do that, help our loved ones to be empowered to handle their anxiety, to handle, to know themselves a little bit more and what works for them.
1: That's a beautiful parallel. That is, that really resonated with me as a therapist, as a counselor, you being able to say goodbye to your clients and send them home and have trust and faith that they can solve their own problems. And then just bringing that into the home as well with our kids. Oh, that's great. This has been wonderful, Cal. I do want to circle back though, pivot, unless we missed anything there to, um, this this labeling thing, right? Um, where, you know, my kids labeled me as, Oh, she's just anxious in the car that one time and with your husband, um, calling saying, Oh, you're so edgy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we were kind of talking about this before and you shared a story that I was like, Oh yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And a lot of the women that listen to this are moms. Mm. And I think it's so helpful to hear a story and how it impacted someone and then bring it bring it home. So would
2: you mind sharing your oh, story? Cool. I would be happy to. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about my winding path and being self-aware. So when I was a kid, I was telling Madi that I had a PE teacher, and I won't say his name. I don't think he would listen. To, I don't know where he is in this world, but I will respect his confidentiality. He, uh, he I, he would te- He was a PE teacher. He would tease people in the class, and the teasing wasn't negative. It was kind of seen as like, one of his favorites, like he liked people and he would tease them. So it was seen as sort of more loving than it was hurtful or bullying. So I had gone home to my mom and I was like, Mom, I don't understand why this teacher never teases me. And she looked at me and she goes, Well, honey, that's because he knows you're sensitive And I remember as this imaginative young child thinking that there was this giant red sensitive stamp on a file that had my name on it that all the teachers got, and they knew I was sensitive. And I remember that being this pivotal point of like, oh my gosh, it is not good to be sensitive. I don't want to be sensitive. I want to be like everyone else and be teased. And so therefore, I am not sensitive. And that lack of awareness followed me for the rest of my life because I am very sensitive. But you know, it was a label that I viewed as negative and then had to kind of fight that, you know, later and work on myself. Yeah. And that
1: reminds me, it's a, I love that visual of the stamp because I know we all have that. We all can think of that story where someone called us something that stayed with us and we either acted in a way to prove it to ourselves that we were that Mm -hmm. or completely flipped like you did. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be an extrovert. I'm going to be the total opposite of what this label was. And whenever my clients talk about their kids or their spouse, and they're like, oh, they use a label like, oh, my son's just shy. I'm like, Oh, man. Mm. Maybe, maybe he's not shy. Like maybe that isn't his label. Maybe at times he acts shy, right? Like um, I know Brene Brown talks about this. Um, with her daughter, this just came to my mind and she was talking about her daughter, Ellen and, um, her teacher, Ellen's teacher said, Oh, you're such a mess. And, and because this, this little girl had a mom that was so aware, she said, I may be acting messy right now, but I am not a mess. <laughs> I, love <that. laughs> I love it too. And it just like, kind of going back to the anxiety thing, it's like, let's not also use that as a label.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I worked on it during this as we've been talking, but I also fail at that. At like trying to say somebody has symptoms of anxiety, not that they are anxious or they have anxiety, because they are not. Nobody is their diagnosis. Everybody is somebody that is dealing with symptoms of X, Y, and Z. You know, it's it doesn't mean that is the person. It doesn't mean that's all that they are. And I think that's such a great point, Moni, is that our language is really powerful and it's important to be mindful of it as best we can. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we circled back to that because that feels really relevant right now. And yeah, just being, just being aware and we may have symptoms or act certain way. It doesn't, it does not embody our whole identity. Yeah, exactly. This has been so great. Thank you you so much for being here. I do want to make sure I ask you you know, the question that I ask every single person that I have on the Living on Purpose podcast, which is, Kelly, what does living on purpose mean to you?
2: Oh, I think you, well, today asking me that question, I think it means, it means being aware. It means working really hard to know who we are and what we want, you know, and so when we Feel things like when we feel anxious or we feel jealousy, some of those things we've talked about today, we can ask ourselves more of the deeper questions about what does that mean and why do we feel that way as we are trying to understand ourselves a little bit more. And then it's also intentionally acting in a way that fuels that who we are at our core, you know, being intentional, being living on purpose is that's what that means to me is being intentional. That's amazing. It's beautiful.
1: This conversation was beautiful. And I know that whoever is lucky enough to tune in is going
2: to get at least
1: a handful of takeaways for themselves. So thank you so much for being here.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was just an awesome time to chat and you are fabulous. So it's always fun to have some time to talk with you. So thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Living on Purpose podcast. It has been a blast hanging out with you. If you love this week's episode, please hit that subscribe button. That way, you won't miss any future goodness we throw your way. Craving community and connection with like-minded badass women? Feel free to join us in the Living on Purpose Facebook group. And of course, the best gift that you could possibly give is an honest review on iTunes. Alright, that's it. Until next time always keep living on purpose.